Happy New Year. Thank you. Uh, it's great to be with you again uh, this morning, and uh, I've chosen to um, reflect with you on my probably one of my most favourite passages uh, in in the Bible, um, and it's uh, it's full of riches, uh, and I hope uh, to mine them some of them with you. Uh, this morning. Uh, the title I've given uh, the talk, and I think it's the theme of the passages, is the school of grace. Uh, I think it's verse 12 that says God's grace teaches us. If you, if you look at verse 12, and I do encourage you to have Titus 2, uh, 11 to 15 open, uh, it, it says that God's grace teaches us. So we're reflecting on the school of grace. And uh, I... Uh, I want to do a couple of surveys uh, with you uh, to, to begin with. Um, it, it finishes in verse 15 by saying, declare these things. Uh, so he goes through in 11 to 15 the things that we're to declare. Uh, the NIV uh, says, um, these are the things that you ought to teach. Uh, so we're talking about the school of grace, but we're also talking about the things that we ought to teach, that we should declare. And then, and then he says, um, exhort and reprove, which to me are unfortunate words that uh, we don't really know the meaning of. A, a more up-to-date translation would be encourage and rebuke uh, uh, w- with these things uh, that, that we're going to look at. So, so survey number one is, um, I, I'd love you to put up your hand if, if you're in some kind of teaching capacity, whether that's as a parent or a grandparent or at work or at home or at church, would you put up your hand if you're in some kind of teaching capacity? So I'm, I'm seeing roughly 80, 90 percent uh, of, of hands uh, go up there. Well, here you go. We're going to look at the things that you ought to teach uh, today. Uh, so if you're thinking about, um, and I'm particularly thinking about faith, teaching the faith, I should have qualified that, uh, then, then these are the things you ought to teach. So, so hopefully this is a school for you uh, today uh, in, in the school of grace. Uh, and, and by the way, I'd love for you to take notes um, it's going to be a bit of hard work, this lesson, um, but it's going to pay rich dividends. So um, Paul is up the back with some paper and pens. Uh, if you don't normally take notes, now would be a great time for you to start because it's going to be a bit of work uh, and um, it's going to pay incredibly rich dividends. As I said to you at the start, one of my most favourite passages. Uh, and uh, these are the things you ought to teach. Uh, so I encourage you to do that. You might put up your hand if, uh, if you're wanting paper and pen, if you don't have uh, paper and pen. Well, here's um, my second survey after I take a sip of water. I want you to put up your hand, and this is just, you've got to be, like, not too shy about this, okay? You've just got to do it. And this is, I want you to put up your hand if you would say that you were good at school, all right? There's got to be plenty of you, straight, no hesitation, thank you, thank you, good, thank you. So, so, so we put up your hand if you're good at school. Thank you very much. All right. Well, um, I'm going to embarrass my wife a little bit. Ruth was very good at school. In fact, uh, there are some people who um, on one occasion went to, I think they ran a Christian group at our old school, uh, and, they, and we didn't know, but they came back to us and they said, Ruth, we were at Donvale Christian College, and my goodness, your name is everywhere on the honour boards. Uh, she got darks of, of, the, of the class in Year 12. She was house captain, and she won um, two out of three uh, of the academic uh, awards at, at the end of Year 12. Ruth was really uh, good at school, and some of, some of you are like that. Some of you are good at school, but not me. 
unfortunately, I wasn't particularly good at school. In fact, um, for years after school, I had this recurring nightmare, right? And, and this, was, this was the nightmare. Uh, it was that um, I'd actually failed year 12 and I had to go and sit it all over again. Uh, and this was a recurring nightmare that, that kept coming up, right? So in the dream, there I am uh, at school uh, with my mates, and they're all, they're all 17, but I'm 23, uh, because I've just kept on failing. This was a genuine, legit, recurring nightmare uh, that I had uh, from, from school, and, and the cycle was the same. Study, sit the exam, fail, repeat. Study sit the exam, fail, repeat. And you can, any of you feeling the terror of this nightmare? I mean, I would wake up in hot sweats going, oh, oh, no, it's not true. I don't have to go back to year 12. Phew. Uh, That was the experience for me. And sometimes the Christian life and the Christian experience can be a bit like that. You study, you do your best, You think you're making progress, God sits the same exam, the same test, but you fail it again. And then you go back and you study and God sits the test again. You fail and you go back and again. And it can feel like a bit of a nightmare. Study, fail, repeat. And that can be, for sadly, some of us, the Christian experience. So how do we grow in the school of grace? If God's grace teaches us, as it says in verse 12, how does that work? And another question could be this. If we're saved by grace, why don't we just keep on living however we want? Surely God doesn't care. His job is to forgive, so surely our job is to just go on sinning so that grace may abound. Well, Brian Chappell tells a true story that illustrates partly why it doesn't work that way. It's a story of when a mudslide hit Southern California. Uh, While one family was still in their home, the mud tore through their home and with it, their sleeping baby out into the night. When they realised their baby was missing, they got up and began to search furiously through the dark. The whole neighbourhood was covered in mud and they looked through the neighbourhood searching desperately for their little baby and crying out all through the night. Finally, when morning came, a rescuer, SAS, came to them with a little bundle of basically mud It was the baby and it was alive. Thank God, it was alive. They ran to her, they took the baby and you know what the mother did? She held the baby close and she covered the baby with kisses in spite of all of the mud and all of the mess and then after she had a cuddle and kiss for a very long time, she washed her and she put her in new clothes and she determined that she would never let her baby be found in the mud again. Well, that's a little bit like an illustration of what God has done with us. When God found us being swept away in the the mess and the muck of our sin and our shame, he conducted the greatest search and rescue mission ever conducted in the history of the world and sent the Lord Jesus at Christmas into the mess, into the muck, 
into the mire to find us in our brokenness and our shame as we are being swept away, our own worst enemy, destroying ourselves, dying on the cross to rescue us from sin, embracing us as we are despite all of our filth and sin, washing us completely, spotlessly, perfectly clean, and now putting us in new dazzling white clothes of the righteousness of Christ, covering us with his kisses and his love, and teaching us now in the school of grace to stay out of the mud. That's the school of grace. And the thing that I want to unpack with you today through the passage is that grace comes in three tenses. Grace comes in three tenses. Past, verse 11. Present, verse 12. And future, verse 13. Grace comes in three tenses. And the passage says that it teaches us to say no to the world, grace does, and yes to God. And so I want to unpack these three tenses of grace. You you see, because grace and, and the gospel are not just the ABCs of salvation. We tend to think of grace as a past thing, just the ABCs. But grace is the A to Z just as God is the Alpha and the Omega and that the Lord Jesus is the pioneer of our faith and the perfecter of our faith. Grace is the, not the ABCs, it's the A to Z. Past, present, future. So point one is that we're saved. We are saved. Look at verse 11. The grace of God has appeared, past tense, that offers salvation to all people. I'm sorry, I'm using NIV, so it's slightly different in your translation. The grace of God has appeared. Now, the key word here is epiphaneo. Uh, Does that ring any bells? Epiphaneo, that's the Greek word for appeared. Epiphany. It refers in the first century to these Greek gods like Asclepius, where if you went to the temple of Asclepius um, and, and, and Asclepius appeared in the temple, then you would be healed of whatever your disease was. That, that was how the Greek word epiphaneo was used, the appearing of a Greek god. How interesting that Paul would apply that to the grace of God and the appearing of the Lord Jesus as the appearing of the Saviour, not, uh, not as, as some Greek God, but as the Saviour of the world who appeared to offer salvation from sin. The grace of God has appeared, and the grace of God is a person, Jesus, who appeared at Christmas, who came into the world. And his, the salvation that he offers is complete. He grew up and he died on the cross, and when he died, he said, it is finished We are saved. The salvation is complete. And the question is, what are we saved from? Is it from a damaged upbringing? Is it from our bad choices? Is it from a bad relationship? Well, we heard a few weeks ago in the prophecy about Jesus, no, he came to save us from our sins. Now, the doctrine uh, and the word for this that we use for this is the word justification. And that means being declared righteous. It's got two parts to it. Not guilty which is the negative side, not guilty, and the positive side is righteous, perfect. We're declared righteous. It's got, picture a courtroom. And so as we stand before God, the judge, on our side is a massive debt that we owe him for squandering what he's given us and turning our back on him, a debt as vast as the ocean, and he is a holy God who has all the riches in the universe, all of the righteousness and holiness and beauty that we need 
And on the cross, he transfers his beauty and his righteousness into our account so that we stand righteous before him. And he transfers our debt of sin onto Christ on the cross. And he pays that debt for us in full, completely done, paid It is finished. We are saved. Our debt is complete. And this is what the Lord Jesus Christ offers all to you today, freely, no conditions, offers it to to you. And this is why we call it grace. G-R-A-C-E. God's riches at Christ's expense or God's righteousness at Christ's expense. I'm not sure if any of you have ever been in court and sat under a judge declaring a verdict. Uh, Ruth and I were actually in a court case uh, once. It was a civil court. And to hear the judge's declaration, we felt it in our bones and in our bellies, the finality of that judge's declaration. And that was just some civil court over some tiny little civil matter that we had This is the judge of the universe, the King of kings and the Lord of lords who knows all and sees all and is the judge of all, declaring us not guilty, righteous. We are saved. It is finished. Justification. The grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. We're saved from the penalty of sin. That's verse 11. We're saved from the penalty of sin. Of sin. But then it goes on to say, the grace of God teaches us. So the grace that saves in verse 11 is the grace that teaches in verse 12. We're saved and we are being saved. Now we're in the present tense. We are being saved. It's not just a past thing. This is a present reality. We're being saved in verse 12. The grace of God teaches us in verse 12. Grace the Savior is now grace the teacher. We have direct access to the best teacher in the universe, the Lord Jesus Christ. He is our teacher, our guide, and our mentor. The word um, for teach in verse 12 is paiduo, um, from which we get paidos, um, pediatrician. Um, a child, and, and it refers to the discipline and the rearing of a child because the, the lessons hurt. Often the lessons hurt. Uh, no one likes discipline. Nobody enjoys the discipline. Um, but it's a sign that you're loved by the Father. And some of you are in positions now where, you're being, where you're in great pain. Well, the good news is that it's not the frown and the punishment of an angry God, but it's the loving discipline of a loving Father who can use that to say, because you're in the process of being saved from the power of sin. This is grace, the teacher. We're in the school of grace. We've been enrolled. We cannot be expelled because we have the righteousness of Christ. Our sins have been forgiven. We've got the perfect record to stay enrolled. And one day the Lord Jesus will come to pick us up from school and the lesson will be complete. And we will reflect his glory perfectly, but more of that soon. It says the grace of God teaches us. And the first lesson that it teaches us, if you look in verse 12, is to say no. My translation says to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. I think yours says impiety. Now, the thing about these two words that we're taught to say no to is one is internal and one is external. 
Uh, the uh, worldly passions are about our appetites. It's an internal, um, our, our desires that are actually twisted and thwarted and, and, and sinful, our actual desires. And we're taught from our desire to say no to those sinful desires. And we're, we're taught to say no to ungodly actions in piety, which have an outward focus. You see, every other religion, including any New Year's resolutions that you've made, focus on outside behaviour, behaviour modification. But the grace of God goes so much deeper to changing our appetites, to actually reforming us from the inside out through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. It teaches us to say no to worldly passions, whether it's money, sex, power, ambition, laziness, pride, the grace of God teaches us to say no to those things and the actions. That's lesson number one. Lesson number two is positive in verse 12. It's to say yes. It's to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives. So grace te- teaches, teaches us, sorry, get your attention, teach us to turn our lives around. From, from self-indulgence to self-control, from godlessness to godliness. There's a renovation of the heart by the grace of God as he, the Lord Jesus Christ, teaches us and reforms us from the inside out. But how does he do it? How does he teach us these lessons? How do we learn to say no to the world and yes to God. Well, ultimately, it's by a miracle of God's grace. In Ephesians 2, it says we're dead in sin and transgressions. We need our hearts to be born again and brought to newness of life. But once that's happened, we're on a journey. And I want to first talk about how he doesn't teach us by giving you an illustration. How does grace teach us? Well, he doesn't drive us with dread. I was at a camp once, uh, a youth camp, and we, we had this, um, it was in the end a terrible game because I've been getting physio ever since. Um, it was where we'd break up into four teams uh, and we'd face each other and we were given an apple and we had to um, headbutt the apple along the ground. It was terrible. Your face was literally in the grass like that and you couldn't see where you're going and you had to get the apple up to your team and back and down and back and down until you'd uh, all, all done it. Terrible game. I've paid thousands in physio since. Um, but there was a guy on our team who was like, um, uh, we, um, uh, he really wanted us to win. Uh, and so he wanted to help us along uh, to win and to, to coach us, to teach us, if you like, to train us, coach us, encourage us. Uh, and here's how, here's how he did it. He'd, he'd come alongside the person um, in, uh, with their face in the ground and go, oh my goodness, you suck. I can't believe how slow you are. The other team's winning. What are you doing? You've got to hurry up. We're all going to lose because of you. Have you ever heard that? that? Have you ever heard that, in, you know, teenagers in the, the competition and, and encouragement? That's not the school of grace. Thankfully, that's not the school of grace. Yes, the grace of God comes alongside us by the Holy Spirit, but that's not his voice. That's the school of law. That's the school of legalism. That's the voice of Satan berating us. For where we stand. Yes, we are guilty. Yes, we are full of shame. But, but we've, we've already learned that we've been saved from that. Jesus was clothed with our guilt and with our shame. 
Uh, Yes, we don't deserve to be standing before God, but Jesus has paid the price. We have been saved from all that. So that's not the voice of God. There's a rhyme that goes like this, which describes the difference between the law, how the law motivates us, and how the gospel motivates us. Run, John, run, the law demands, but gives us neither feet nor hands. Much better news the gospel brings, it bids us fly and gives us wings. Run, John, run, the law demands, but gives us neither feet nor hands. Much better news the gospel brings, it bids us fly and gives us wings. The grace of God teaches us and the Holy Spirit comes alongside us, encouraging us with his grace, renewing our affections, helping us to say no to worldly passions and to live self-controlled and upright lives. He bids us fly and gives us wings. And so any psychologist will tell you that guilt and fear and shame are terrible motivators for change. And I think the general solution is there's no such thing. In a secular worldview, apart from Christ, it has to be there is no such thing as guilt and fear and shame. Well, the gospel can do better than that. The gospel can say, yes, guilty as charged. But Jesus was clothed with all of your guilt and all of your shame on the cross. You've been clothed in his perfect righteousness. And so there's nothing but a beaming smile of the Father for you because you're dressed in the righteousness of Christ and his finished work for you on the cross. Dear brothers and sisters, this is the offer that is being given to you today. No more guilt, no more shame, no more fear. To see the law by Christ fulfilled and hear his pardoning voice changes a slave into a child and duty into choice. He doesn't drive us with dread, firstly. Secondly, how does grace teach us? He draws us with desire. Here's how C.S. Lewis puts it. It would seem our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We're half-hearted creatures fooling about with with sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what's meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We're far too easily pleased. Here's how John Piper puts it. We must fight fire, the fire of lust and ungodliness, with fire. The fire of lust's pleasures must be fought with the fire of God's pleasures. If we fight with the fire of lust, with prohibitions and threats alone, even the terrible warnings of Jesus will fail. We've got to fight it with the massive promise of superior holiness We must swallow up the little flicker of lust's pleasures in the consuming fire of holy satisfaction. And so my prayer, I try to make it my daily prayer, is is my my affections are so warped and twisted, Father. Teach me to have a deep hatred for this sin and to see it for what it really is. Renew my heart. And help me to see it the way you do. And and Lord, give me a deep love and affection for the Lord Jesus. And help me to see him in all of his glory. 
And this is what the school of grace is. Firstly, that we're saved from the penalty of sin. And now in verse 12, we're being saved from the power of sin. We've been saved from the penalty, past tense, and now we're being saved from the power of sin, present tense. And so this is what we call sanctification, the doctrine of sanctification. So whilst justification is a once-off, instantaneous, never-to-be-repeated event that is entirely God's work, Jesus said, it is finished, he's done the work on the cross, Sanctification is an ongoing process and partnership between us and God where we learn to say no to the world and yes to God. We are being saved. God's doing it from the power of sin. And finally, verse 13, future tense. We will be saved. We will be saved because... Whilst we're in the school of grace now, being taught these lessons, we wait. We wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ. There's two appearings in this, in this um, passage. Uh, the second time it says manifestation, but it's the epiphaneo again in both. And, and this is the, the, the appearing or the manifestation of the glory of Jesus. And it conveys the idea of brightness and, and splendor and, and the, uh, brighter than the sun. And you see, the, the Jews thought that history would end. They were waiting in the Old Testament for God's coming in glory. Uh, when God came back to earth, they were like, he's going to take care of our enemies, whether it's the Romans or the Babylonians. He's going to wipe them out and put us in charge. And so they couldn't wait for God's coming. But the Old Testament prophets were like, woe to you on that day. Woe to you on that day. You do not want God to come in glory because you'll be completely wiped out and destroyed because he is a holy, righteous God, brighter than the sun, and your sinful selves cannot bear to stand in the presence of his holy brightness and righteousness, otherwise you'll be consumed. And the prophets say, woe to you on that day, the coming of the glory of the Lord. So what did God do instead? Verse 11, he didn't come in glory to begin with. He came in grace. He came in grace. Look at verse 11. His first, can, can you see it in verse 11? His first appearing is in grace. The grace of God has appeared and his second appearing will be in glory, the manifestation of his glory. Why did he appear in grace before he appeared in glory? so that we wouldn't be consumed, so that we would have an opportunity to be made right with him and be able to stand before a holy, perfect God, brighter than the sun, so, he, he, so that we wouldn't be destroyed, so that we could be saved. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead. Just go through Revelation again and just see how glorious and mighty and brighter than the sun he will be. Friends, will you be able to stand before him on that day? Well, if you're in Christ, the answer is a resounding yes. Because you've been clothed in his perfect righteousness, brighter than the sun. 
And friends, this is good news for those who... It's terrible news if you're not in Christ today. And I plead with you today that if you're not, then you receive the free offer of God's grace that you can stand before Him. But for those of us who are in Christ, it will be a glorious day because we will be made like Him and we will be saved, not from the penalty of sin because we've already been saved from that, not from the power of sin because we're being saved from that, we'll be saved from the presence of of sin on that day and we'll be glorious like him brighter than the sun he is the light of the world we will be light of the light of the world reflecting his glory and so in philippians 3 verses 20 and 21 he says our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await a savior from there the lord jesus christ who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control he will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body Can I get an amen? We'll be like his glorious body. This is the doctrine of glorification, where we'll be made like him, and it's a work of his grace. And so let me wrap up what we've seen today. We are saved from the penalty of sin. It is finished, verse 11. We are being saved from the power of sin, sanctification, The grace of God teaches us to say no. And we will be saved from the presence of sin, glorification. We're waiting for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ. And so in verse 15, he says, Declare these things, or in my translation, these then are the things you should teach. Actually, if you look at verse 1, where it says teach, and here in your it says declare, they're actually the same word. Uh, this is, these are the things that we are to teach. Teach means, your version says train. It's, it's a discipline. There's a coaching. There's a coming alongside. There's an arguing of, of wrestling and, and reminding us of grace because it's so quick to fall out of our heads. We've got to let the gospel argue with us and reshape us and reform us because we're legalists. We like to prove our own way and to make our own way. So Martin Luther says this, and I'm coming towards the end. The law is divine and holy. Let the law have his glory. But no law, be it ever so divine and holy, can teach me that I'm justified. I grant it may teach me that I ought to love God and my neighbor and also to live in chastity, soberness, patience, etc. But it can't show me how I should be delivered from sin, the devil, death and hell. For that I must take counsel from the gospel. I must hearken to the gospel which teaches me not what I ought to do, for that's the office of the law, but what Jesus Christ, the Son of God, has done for me, that he suffered and died to deliver me from sin and death. The gospel wills me to receive this and to believe it. And this is the truth of the gospel. It's also the principal article of all Christian doctrine, wherein the knowledge of all goodness consists. Most necessary it is, therefore, that we should know this gospel well, teach it to others, and beat it into their heads continually. Sounds harsh. That's a bit Lutheran. He was a bit like that. But, friends, this is not the berating of the person in the game. This is the loving, arguing voice of a gracious 
and loving Heavenly Father, the Holy Spirit, who wants us to remember the grace of God, past, present, and future. And so this year, Barb will be starting a new um, curriculum with the kids called The Gospel Project, where we are going to, in the best way possible, please hear it in the best way, beat it into their heads continually. Please, give me, like, hear me well on, on this. This is the grace of God. It's what Paul says in verse 15. These are the things you should teach. It's like the Pharisees. They knew the Bible and Jesus says, but it's all about me and you're missing me. Woe to us if we give people the Bible and the law without giving them what it points to, which is the Lord Jesus Christ. How woe to us if we tell them, be a better person, be a good person, lift up your bootstraps and get yourself going. No, we give them the grace of the gospel and it's offered to you today, the Lord Jesus Christ. And I plead with you, if only you would receive it today as a free gift of grace to you, that you have been saved that you are being saved and by grace one day you will be saved. Will you receive that gift today by grace and will you teach it to others? Will you grow in this grace, let it argue with you and ground you fully in the grace of God? So let me ask you this morning, have you been enrolled in the school of grace? Do you know the Lord Jesus Christ, the teacher of grace. One of my favourite verses is Proverbs 24, verse 16. It says, Though a righteous man falls seven times, he rises. He, a righteous woman as well, falls seven times, he rises. That doesn't mean after the eighth time he's down for the count and it just means staying down for the count. No, no, the wicked man stays down for the count. Why? Why, does, why, does it, why is it wicked to stay down, to give up? Well, why would they get up if they're still under the penalty of sin? There's no hope. Why bother? Why would you bother getting up if you're still under the power of sin? Why would you, why would you bother? You're still under the power of sin. Just give up. Why would you bother if you're never going to be rescued from the presence of sin? Just stay down. Give up. You've lost. But friends, if you've been saved from the penalty of sin, if you are being saved from the presence, from the power of sin, and if one day you will be saved from the presence of sin, then don't stay down. Get up. Don't give up. Get up. Receive the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ that is offered to you today. Amen.